reached our cruising altitude, it's time for the flyover. Welcome back to Flyover View, a member of the Heartland Pod family, a podcast, and a look at Heartland news from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith. There are two parts to today's show. The Heartland Headline segment, where I'll cover the biggest stories of the week, followed by the Lightning Round, where I cover the rest of my favorites in rapid succession. Heads up, folks, it's going to be another Missouri-heavy week. Whew, well, let's start the show. Starting things off is Missouri's continued Medicaid woes. Now, as I am recording this in the middle of the day on Wednesday, a little inside baseball, the state legislature has currently failed to pass an extension of the Federal Reimbursement Allowances, or the FRA, for Medicaid. They're having a special session as we speak, and they're trying to decide whether or not they're going to pass this extension of the FRA as is, or if we're going to shoehorn in some contraceptive bans. There's a group of Republicans that are causing a stalemate unless their demands are met to ban Medicaid coverage for some contraceptives like IUDs and Plan B pills. I mean, these are contraceptives. These are not heartbeat bills. There's nothing in there about abortion. This isn't even Planned Parenthood stuff. This is just contraceptives, folks. They're really racing to the right as fast as they can, trying to make a name for themselves. Folks like uh, Bob Onder, who is my own state senator, who is gearing up for a run for Ann Wagner's seat when she moves on to the Senate run. So, I mean, they're trying to make a name for themselves. They're not looking out for Missourians here. They would much rather hold things up and try to get their way on narrow issues just so they can try to show that they are king conservative in the state. Now, Parson isn't mincing words. He has said, let me be clear. Now is the time that demands leadership among legislators and not an opportunity to play games with billions of dollars and millions of livelihoods in pursuit of narrow political interests. Now, he said this on Tuesday, and he had a hard deadline set on Tuesday, saying that if it by noon they had not reached an agreement, he was going to start pulling funds from other state budget items in order to pay for Medicaid, because the deadline's coming up. It's on July 1st. Now, he didn't follow through with that, and the Republicans promptly ignored him, penning a letter where all of the males on the letter, Republican males, no women, signed off saying that they just, you know, they're, they're clutching their pearls here. They're making sure that they are looking out for the unborn with these contraceptives that uh, are tantamount to abortion for them. Now... This dispute is separate from the lawsuit over extending Medicaid coverage uh, to some of those that are currently ineligible. Voters approved the Medicaid expansion in August 2020, but lawmakers this year refused to fund it. This is completely separate and away from that. Now, however, there is a case that was heard in Cole County on Monday, and hopefully we'll have a ruling on that within a few days, probably before the July 1st deadline. But like I said, this is above and beyond that. We are currently having a group of Republican legislators holding up potential federal reimbursement funding and putting the bill on Missourians so that they can get their narrow ideals surrounding contraceptives shoehorned in there so that Medicaid recipients can't use any funding for things like Plan B. I don't know about you, but I have grown very weary this year of the Missouri legislature. And actually, I'm reading right now, at the beginning of this special session to talk about Medicaid coverage, uh, Senator Hoskins leads the way with a bill trying to ban critical race theory of all things. Because yeah, that's what's on the table right now. Moving on to another Missouri item, responses to the Second Amendment Preservation Act. 
a police chief resigns, and St. Louis City and County sue. The police chief of O'Fallon, Missouri, resigned on Friday, citing the newly signed House Bill 85, termed as the Second Amendment Preservation Act. Proponents of the bill claim it adds more protections to the right to bear arms while banning police departments from enforcing federal gun rules. In response, Chief Philip Dupuy has stated that though he's a strong advocate for the Second Amendment, House Bill 85 will, quote, decrease public safety and increase frivolous lawsuits designed to harass and penalize good, hard-working law enforcement agencies. In a press release, Dupuy said that every police department in the country seizes weapons during arrests in criminal cases or when officers feel threatened or want to protect someone from committing suicide. This statute would allow citizens to sue that officer if they think it infringed upon their Second Amendment rights. He says that this vague language will create a flood of weaponized litigation that will chill the legitimate peacekeeping duties of police. Highly effective partnerships between local and federal law enforcement agencies will have to be reevaluated. And, as we mentioned last week on the flyover view, the Associated Press obtained a letter from the Justice Department telling Missouri lawmakers they went too far and that the United States Constitution's Supremacy Clause outweighs the measure. Governor Parson and Attorney General Eric Schmidt, however, wrote back saying that they will stand by the new law, saying that they will fight tooth and nail to defend the right of gun owners. Now, in this district, where the police officer uh, Dupuy resigned, is none other than Nick Schroer and Ron Hicks, who are both Republican representatives who co-signed the bill. Uh, they represent O'Fallon. And Senator Bob Onder also voted for the bill, and he's a state senator in the O'Fallon district. No word yet on, from either of them whether they're even remotely ashamed of the fact that they have caused a good police chief, by all accounts, to resign over the poor wording of this bill. They were ready to make a lot of hay about St. Louis and Kansas City for you know, their, quote, defunding of the police uh, to the point where they had a press conference where they talked about concerns over cities that they had no constituency in. However, when it hit in their own hometown, they're pretty silent on the matter. Now, speaking of St. Louis and St. Louis County, uh, there's been a response from those areas. They've responded to the Missouri GOP's new Second Amendment Preservation Act with a lawsuit. It was filed in Cole County Circuit Court, and the lawsuit seeks to block the new law and deem it unconstitutional. Mayor Tashara Jones has said, quote, 2020 was the deadliest year of gun violence in our state's history, and now the Missouri legislature is throwing up barriers to stop police from doing their most important job, preventing and solving violent crime. This harmful and unconstitutional law takes away tools from our communities needed to prevent gun violence, and she's proud to partner with St. Louis County and its effort to protect our region and stop this law. Speaking for St. Louis County's Executive Sam Page, saying that, quote, this new law is like the state holding out a sign that says, come commit gun violence here. We can't expect people to stay in St. Louis or to move their businesses here if we don't do everything we can to reduce gun violence in the region. But this new law sends the opposite message to our residents and business community. Now, before we move into the lightning round, let's cleanse the palate a little bit and talk about some good governance in Colorado, where a new law signed by Governor Jared Polis is intended to help former prison inmates who worked on fire crews get jobs in the fire service after release. For $12 a day, a Colorado prison inmate trains 
to fight wildfires and stand alongside the state's seasonal fire crews, battling some of the state's most devastating wildfires. Through a Colorado Department of Corrections program, members of the state wildlife inmate fire team receive the same training as the state's seasonal fire crews and have hands-on experience fighting fires when they're needed. It's a job that's physically demanding and risky, and until this year, it likely wouldn't have led to a career fighting fires after they finished their sentence, thanks to stigma and discrimination against convicted felons. Since its launch in 2002, more than 2,500 inmates have participated in the SWIFT group, which is the state wildlife inmate fire team according to the Department of Corrections, but fewer than 10 have been successful in getting jobs as full-time firefighters after they finish their sentence, said Gary Breezy, executive director of Colorado State Fire Chiefs. He says, quote, that's in the entire history of the program. It's a pretty dismal job situation for SWIFT graduates coming out. The new law says that people with felony convictions are eligible to work as wildland firefighters in the State Division of Fire Prevention and Control, and that the division is encouraged to hire former prison inmates who have worked on fire crews. The new legislation is a great first step that will bring opportunity to SWIFT graduates after they finish their sentence and allow them to get their life back on track, says Breezy. It's been noted that inmates chosen for such a program while incarcerated are model inmates, so the transition once released should be natural. The legislation also requires the state's Division of Fire Prevention and Control to start a peer mentor program for those hired by the agency after leaving prison so that they can develop professional skills. With fire season in Colorado moving to nearly an all-year-round framework, this seems like excellent legislative work. How I yearn for such things in Missouri. Hey there, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show. Before we get into the lightning round, I want to remind you to check out some of the other fantastic programming we have here on the Heartland Pod. Just this week, while Marquise Govin was taking a break, an all-new show, The Delta, launched, where science teacher Nicholas Linky spoke with Sean Diller about variant strands and vaccine cocktails. A great listen for those wanting to brush up on some scientific knowledge. As always, we have the Monday show with Adam, his guest this week, a local sustainable homestead farmer, and the rest of the gang will be there, as always, talking politics. Check us out at The Heartland Pod on Twitter and heartlandpod.com. And now, the lightning round. Lightning round. Supreme Court sides with former college players in dispute with NCAA about compensation. The Supreme Court of the United States unanimously affirmed a ruling Monday that provides for incremental increase in how college athletes can be compensated and also opens the door for future legal challenges that could deal a much more significant blow to the NCAA's current business model. Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote the court's opinion, which upheld a district court's judge's decision that the NCAA was violating antitrust law by placing limits on the education-related benefits that schools can provide to athletes. The decision allows schools to provide their athletes with unlimited compensation as long as it is in some way connected to their education. Gorsuch wrote that the nation's highest court limited the scope of its decision on those educated-related benefits rather than delving further into questions about the association's business model. Justice Brett Kavanaugh published a concurring opinion that takes a harder line, suggesting that the NCAA's rules that restrict any type of compensation, including direct payment for athletic accomplishments, might no longer hold up well in future antitrust challenges. Who leads the country in COVID-19 hospitalization? 
Why, Missouri, of course. Missouri now leads the nation with the highest rate of new COVID-19 infections as vaccinations lag and the Delta variant takes hold, while 53.3% of the population of Americans have initiated vaccination, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Most southern and northern Missouri counties are well short of 40%, and a handful of southern Missouri counties have fewer than 20% of residents vaccinated. Missouri is known as the show-me state and apparently needs to be shown why vaccinations are important. Well, folks, here you go. I could quote more numbers. Missouri has seen a 72% spike in hospitalizations, for example. But honestly, is it going to work? On the off chance someone out there is listening in who has avoided vaccination, please note this new variant, the Delta variant, is more infectious and potentially more deadly than the other variants and has become dominant around Springfield and in much of the southwest of Missouri. Get vaccinated, folks. The GOP won't even allow debate on voting rights bill. The bill, known as the For the People's Act, would touch on virtually every aspect of how elections are conducted, striking down hurdles to voting that advocates view as the civil rights fight of the era, while also curbing influence of dark money in politics and limiting partisan influence over drawing of congressional districts. But many in the GOP say the measure represents instead a breathtaking federal infringement on states' authority to conduct their own elections without fraud, and is meant to ultimately benefit Democrats. It failed on a 50-50 vote after Republicans, some of whom derided the bill as the, quote, screw the people act, denied Democrats the 60 votes needed to begin debate under Senate rules. President Biden praised Senate Democrats for standing together against the ongoing assault of voter suppression that represents a Jim Crow era in the 21st century. In a statement from the White House, he said that their actions, though unsuccessful on Tuesday, look to the next step forward in this continuous struggle. Biden signs bill into law making Juneteenth a national holiday. Last Thursday, President Biden signed legislation into law establishing June 19th as Juneteenth National Independence Day, a U.S. federal holiday commemorating the end of slavery in the United States. Juneteenth commemorates June 19th, 1865, when Union Major General Gordon Granger announced the end of slavery in Galveston, Texas, in accordance with President Abraham Lincoln's 1863 Emancipation Proclamation. Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson had previously blocked the bill in 2020, saying that the day off for federal employees would cost the U.S. taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars. But Johnson dropped his objection this week despite his concerns, which paved the way for the bill's passage in the Senate. Not surprisingly, though, when Ron Johnson attended a Juneteenth event over the weekend, he was met with boos and jeers, which seemed to surprise the guy, who was quoted saying to reporters that the boos were quote, not how you heal the nation, and added, you come down here and, and try to interact with people and be nice to people, but this isn't very nice, is it? Well, actually, John, why don't you go get... F well, that's all the time we have, folks. Uh, thanks for joining us. If you feel you have a story you think we should look into and possibly highlight on the show, please tweet us at HeartlandPod. The Flyover View is a production of Midmap Media, LLC. This week's episode featured reporting from the Associated Press, CNN, KSDK, St. Louis, ESPN, The Colorado Sun, KMOV, and The Riverfront Times. Remember to subscribe so you can get this show and all our Heartland Pod offerings with new episodes released Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks for joining us, and see you next week, same time, same place. Take care.